2, the book of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses. For those of you who are able, if you will stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, there they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. You know, if I don't get a chance to talk with you today and, and after uh, you leave here or in the next few hours or a couple of days, you're going to be heading off to visit family and friends and loved ones. I want to wish you from the Mache home, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a, a wonderful Christmas. Uh, if the rest of you that, that are here, I invite you to be here on, on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. We're having a Christmas Eve service, and it's just going to be a wonderful time of, of worshiping the Lord and really looking at the great gospel that we celebrate, the gospel of Jesus, the gift of the Son. Uh, but I want to encourage you a, a couple ways as we're going into the scriptures. I've said this on a few occasions, but I really want to encourage you as you go in to this Christmas season and as you approach family members and go into a home, I want to encourage you to be a minister of reconciliation there. Uh, be a light. And, and, and maybe even say it this way, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you have the ability to do so, honor your father and mother. Sometimes that can be one of the most difficult things to do around this time of year. Honor your father and mother. Be a light to your family. Really be a blessing uh, this Christmas season. You know, the, the season that we celebrate, the Advent season, when we look at the, the coming of Jesus in his birth, and then we long for, we look to his return, uh, the Advent season or the Christmas season is a season of love. The, the Christmas story is a story of love. I, I love that the John 3.16 was read earlier. It's the passage that has probably been closest to my heart this 
Christmas season, but just the reality that God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, they would not perish. They wouldn't die, but they would have eternal life. Today we're going to look at a very familiar story. It's the one that Eddie so eloquently read just a, a few moments ago. It's a story that, that most of you recognize, the story of these unique individuals that we call wise men or, or some of you know as the Magi, but these individuals that came from afar. They came from the east. We don't know exactly where they came from. We're going to assume a couple of things and, or, and call them assumptions, but, but these men that came from afar to worship this newborn king, Jesus. As we look at this story, though, I, I want us to see it in light of this, that God so loved the world. God so loves us that we're going to recognize in this story his love in a few different ways. And so I want to ask if you, if you have your outline or you have your worship guide, if you'll open that up. We're going to look at a, a phrase, this one really focal truth for today. And we're going to spend our time breaking that down. So the one truth today, it helps us to understand the reality of God's love and what his love looks like, how it's displayed in Scripture. And here's what we see. Is that God desires all nations. This is all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all languages. God desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship His sovereign Savior, Son. We're going to see this play out here in this very familiar passage. And I believe that if God will give us today, and He desires to, eyes to see and ears to hear, we will be more transformed by the gospel this morning when we leave. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ. We pray that you would teach us more about him today. Teach us more from this familiar story in the birth narrative of Jesus. Help us to really cherish what you have given us here in Matthew chapter 2. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there's going to be a, a temptation and it has been for me all week, and really for longer than that. This, this was an outline that back last December I uh, wrote. It was last December. I was, I was working very, very part-time at about 3.30 in the morning until about 8 on the weekends at the YMCA. And I was opening up the place and just greeting people and and as you can imagine, from 3.30 until 8, there's not a whole lot of traffic that, that goes in to the YMCA on a Saturday morning, though there's probably more than you think. But it was in that time that I, I really spent a whole lot of time reading and studying God's Word. And I remember last December coming to this passage and just being amazed by what we're going to look at today. But one of the difficulties is this, is to narrow down what all we want to bring to the table this morning? What all does the Lord desire us to take in? And how not to build this message 
off of assumptions that God's Word doesn't directly give us. You'll understand what I mean in just, uh, in just a few minutes. But we're going to see in this passage that God desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship His sovereign Savior's Son. So look with me there at A. Uh, the first part of that is that God desires all nations. The, the book of Matthew is, is very Jewish in the way that it is written. Very Jewish, where Luke would be more written uh, in terms of Gentile language. Matthew is not. It is very Jewish in the way that it is written. But what is very interesting is in the very first part there, genealogy that we saw last week. We're going to see something here in chapter 2. And then, of course, on the very end of the book, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to see a call to all nations. In the genealogy here, you know, we saw several Gentile women that are found in the line to Jesus. Uh, chapter 2, we're going to have these men that travel from afar. They, they come from the east, and it is traditionally understood that they would have been Gentiles. Regardless of whether they are or not, we're going to see that God desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship Christ. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, says for us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. And so we recognize here, not just here, but in all of Scripture, but specifically here in chapter 2, that God desires all nations. We want that to be something that us as a church, that, that we link our heart to God's heart here. And so, like, this past Wednesday night, for example, you received a budget for 2015. In that budget, we have a mission section, which is specifically, we want to say, that is about going to the nations. That's about making disciples here in Tuscaloosa and all around the world. But it was uh, roughly $187,000. In that section, if the church so... Uh, passes here in January, we will have, uh, you know, a near $200,000 missions budget. And I would argue that the entire budget for every item is about the Great Commission, not just the mission section. I certainly don't think that my job or anybody else's job that works here is anything less than about the Great Commission. But we have a section that is specifically about fulfilling the Great Commission because we believe that God's heart is for all nations. Tonight, a couple of uh, friends of mine are going to be here sharing about why the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is so important. And you're going to have an opportunity to give up and beyond what you give to uh, the, the church budget to uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which goes directly to international missionaries, missionaries who go overseas and, and serve to make disciples of all nations. We, we believe this is vital. This is essential to our calling and we recognize this is the very heart of God. God desires all nations. So who are these people that we see? Look, look with me there in, in chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I want you to know before I tell you anything else about them that that is all that we're given about them in this text. That's all that we really know about who they are. 
They're just wise men. We're assuming them to be magi. Some of you may go, we don't even know what magi, uh, we don't even know who they are. Well, well, here's what we know about magi. Magi is actually short for the word magician. Probably pretty obvious if you, if you thought about it. But uh, the word magi could mean a lot of things. But in the first century and looking back, if you go and you study, you could probably even Wikipedia this. You could probably do a few very simple things with a few clicks. And you could learn a lot about the magi or the wise men. And it's that they were brilliant people, important people in their society. They were very high-ranking people in their cultures. We learn a little bit about the, the Magi if you go back and you study the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 5, Daniel, who of course was a Hebrew who was exiled to Babylon, he was actually raised by the king into a position, some of you may remember, as the chief of the magicians, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He was made chief of the Magi. So Daniel that we know, Daniel and the lion's den, for some of you that are thinking, is that who that is? Yes, yes, that, that Daniel, he was made chief of the Magi. This was working in the palace with the king. This was supporting the king. This was in many ways being a council of the king. Some people call them king makers. They would actually go and raise people and be on a council that would bring people into uh, into their rule. And so there's a lot of assumptions and things that we can imagine. Our hearts can certainly uh, soar when we begin to think about how these magi might have come to know about Jesus. It is very, very probable that they were Persian uh, or they were, they were certainly from that area of the world and, and they had been under the teaching that had been passed down from Daniel. That was some 600, 700 years uh, before, but of course, Daniel being the chief of the Magi, that teaching about this king that would one day come to be, that would come from heaven to rule and reign, and his dominion would last forever and ever. If you're curious what I'm talking about, Daniel 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, the one that they called the Son of Man, said that all of the world should serve him. That one, they, they were looking for him to be born. Daniel would have taught that, and more than likely in the first century, all magi would be very familiar with Daniel's writing, more than likely would have been familiar with writers and other people that Daniel himself had learned from and was in contact with the writings of, such as the book of Isaiah. Now, we don't know any of this for sure. It's just an assumption. But we can allow our minds to think, start thinking big about how could these men have come from afar to do what? To worship this king of the Jews. You know, there's this very unusual and mysterious star. I, I, I could have, we could have spent all 30 minutes talking about what people say about the star. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not that smart, and so I'm going to say it this way. This is, from Scripture, an unusual, mysterious star that has come about, and these men have 
followed it. They have recognized it as being special. It was so significant that they decided to take a trip, which would have been very uncomfortable. It would have been very costly. And they traveled to Jerusalem. Some say it was probably 800 to 1,000 miles. It would not have been easy terrain either. And they came. God desires all nations. Was it because of the teaching of Daniel? Was it because it was passed down? Was it because they recognized in the book of Numbers? Oh, wait, you may not know about that. Go with me real quick. Numbers chapter 24. Why don't you hold your place there in Matthew and flip to Numbers? You may have been like me. Uh, for most of my life and had no idea how anybody would have a clue about a star and why they would have been looking for one. Numbers 24. Wow, for a minute I totally forgot where it was. Verse 17. This is Balaam's prophecy of a coming king. Look at verse 17. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, I I would think when I'm reading this, you're doing your yearly Bible reading, I, I get to this verse And honestly, I'm probably just going to read right through it. You know, I mean, I I, I did a couple of highlights here. I don't know what year, you know, when that was. But I mean, more than likely, only because somebody had told me at some point about Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. But, you know, sometimes you can read something and you go, man, I didn't even notice that verse. Evidently, every verse of Scripture matters. Every single verse matters. And people saw this scripture and they longed for the fulfillment of it. And I believe that it was certainly highly possible that these men had been taught about that passage linked with the teachings of Daniel. And they waited and waited and waited. And they saw something with their astrology skills that is not normal. And they set off to follow where it would lead them. So this is very un- unusual, but uh, understand God desires all nations. Now, did it have to be that, and, and they had to have all this information? No, it didn't. In fact, I want to point out one more thing before we move on. Verse 12, and being warned in a, what? Dream. And being warned in a dream, they departed to their own country by another way. So these men, evidently, uh, it, it was not odd for them to, they got a dream from the Lord, they heard it, and they responded appropriately to that dream. So why would we not think that it's, it, it's very possible that the Lord spoke to them in a dream prior to that and said, hey, go to Jerusalem, go look for a king, go to Judea. Look for a baby king. You know, I, I don't know, but all we know is they followed a star looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. And I want you to see that God desires all nations. He desires all nations to be know, believe in, and worship that, of course, being Christ. Uh, this is a really troubling section for me. I'm going to read it for you, and and I want you to consider what it means to know and believe in and worship Jesus. 
The reason why it bothers me so much is the, the setting that we have or the context that we have is in this palace. These men come in from the east. More than likely, there was not three of them, though uh, I'm not going to be one of those guys that crush all the songs. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But these three men were probably more like an entourage of people coming in. More than likely, threw the whole city off, you know, so King Herod's upset. If King Herod's upset, everybody's upset because we find out later he does crazy things when he's upset, like he killed every child under two, okay? So when he's scared, everybody's scared. When he's fearful, everyone's fearful, and that's really what we see. But he is fearful when these men come in. They come to talk to him. They said, hey, we're here to find the one born king of the Jews. Where might we find him? Now, he asked the question, and King Herod doesn't know the answer, but he calls in probably some people from the Sanhedrin. He, he calls in some chief priests and scribes. He calls in some, some Bible folk, you know what I mean? Like, he calls them in, and he says, hey, where might we find, you know, what does the word teach us about, you know, this coming king? Where, where might he be? And I want you to see that they have an answer. The Magi asked, where might we find him? They say, oh, let me whip out the scripture real quick. They actually blend two scriptures together, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, which was actually the uh, coronation of David. They blend those two together. And he says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He tells them, he says, the baby's in Bethlehem. The child's in Bethlehem. And they say, thank you. And they head off. Now, something is very troubling to me about this passage, and I would assume that you can understand what bothers me so much, but it's that they come and say, where is the king of the Jews? And they point him, they point them in the right direction. Yet they themselves do not go. Do you understand how possible it is for you to know biblical information and yet not seek Jesus yourself? Some of the greatest dilemmas that we will find in the church are when people are, are just, their minds are constantly focused on things that are not central to Christ, yet they pick and choose what they want from God's Word and end up alienated from Him because they never, ever grasp hold of Christ Himself. I'll give you a, a, another frightening example. Please do not leave Matthew, but just kind of put your hand there and flip over to the book of John, <clears throat> John chapter 5, look, look at verse 39 and 40, these are the words of Christ, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
Do you understand what he is saying? He's speaking with people who they are rejecting him. And he says, you spend time searching the scriptures, and yet the scriptures are searching your heart, pointing you towards me, and yet you reject me. You refuse to come to me. Here in our passage in Matthew, I I believe we see this in the background. That there are men who from afar... They come based on the word of God to find this Savior King. And yet those who are just outside the city know where he is, and yet they do not go. So I think today there's possible there's people in here that that you, you know God's word enough to navigate your way around. You understand stories, you know that... You know, Father Abraham, he had a whole lot of sons, and, you know, many sons had Father Abraham. Like, you, you've got that, you understand some stories, and you can probably work your way through the VBS material that's coming up uh, this summer. But the reality is, you yourself do not seek Jesus, who the Scriptures bear witness about. If that's you today, understand the grace and the mercy and the patience and the love of God that is displayed from cover to cover in His calling on you to come. Come to Him today. Do not spend another Christmas navigating your way around the story without grasping hold of Jesus yourself. And, and what, I'm, what I'm not doing is trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you into believing. I'm not trying to get you to convince yourself that you really, maybe I don't believe. Maybe I thought I knew him, but really I just know information. I'm not trying to get you to play that battle. What I'm wanting you to do is see that it is entirely possible for you to know about Christ, know things about his promised word, and yet not grasp hold of them yourself. Prime example. You ready? Ready? Everybody in the room, you're about to get hit. I did this past week. I want you to think about the Advent season. We celebrate what? The birth of Christ, His coming, and then we celebrate or look to and we long for what? Him coming again. I want you to analyze your life, your heart. I want you to think about all the scriptures that you know about come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and heal us. Make all things new. I want you to analyze your life and see how much you clung to that this week. See how much you clung to it. Because I bet that over this past season, uh, over these last few weeks, months, whatever it might be, even today, I would imagine that as these chief priests and these scribes, as they knew where to point people to, they knew where to say, hey, go, he's in Bethlehem. You and I know, if we know God's word, that he is coming back and we should long for him. We should be expectantly waiting for him. And yet you and I both know that is certainly not always the case. I want to encourage you, I want to push you today for, to love and good works. I want to push you to long for that day when he comes again. And understand the scriptures aren't there just to point us. The scriptures are there for us to grasp hold of and cling to if bloody hands are necessary. Cling to his promised word. He desires us to know 
to believe in and worship Jesus. I say believe in here because you see a whole lot of belief. You see a whole lot of faith displayed here in the the lives of these people that we know virtually nothing about. I mean, can you imagine telling people, yeah, I see a star. I'm going to follow that star because there's a baby king. There's a king born, you know, of the Jews. I'm going to go follow him. They get there. They go into the palace. They talk to the king, and then they go to a little bitty house. Notice it doesn't say a stable. It says they go in a house. So more than likely, there's been a good bit of time that's passed, possibly a year and a half, two years. We have more than likely toddler uh, Jesus as opposed to baby. And they go into the house and they worship him. How much faith do you have to have to bow down to a one-year-old? Like, I've got a baby at my house. Cute as she can be. I've got a toddler at my house. Interesting as can be. No, cute as can be. I've got a four-year-old at my house. I've never been tempted to worship them. I mean, they're tough. They can be tough, you know. One and a half-year-old. They come in that house full of faith, and they worship that child. They said, he's the king. This is the promised one. God desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship Jesus. I want you to see, lastly, God desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship His sovereign Savior Son. The sovereignty of God is is something that if we will grasp hold of, if only we can get a little more glimpse today than we did yesterday, if we can get a little more of a glimpse of His sovereignty, we will love Him more. We will be drawn to Him more. We will see Him as being greater than we did prior. Some phrase it as gospel wakefulness, like we'll be woken up to a little more of his beauty and his wonder. The sovereignty of God we, we see really throughout all of Scripture. We see, you could call it providence if you want to hear in, in this passage, if this is true, uh, about Daniel, possibly his sovereign rule, him really uh, intimately involved with all of his creation, working out that his word would be passed down uh, from generation to generation and for these to be aware of, to see a star and to follow by faith. See God's hand at work. We see him sovereignly ruling. Sovereignty is a word that is not only just a theological term that we use to talk about God's rule and reign, but sovereignty is a word that we connect with kingship. And God is king. Jesus is king. And that king was born. They came, they said, we're here to find him, king of the Jews. Jesus is king. But what is he like? See, Jesus is a Savior, but what is He like? I'll tell you what He's not like. King Herod. We sing King Herod here in this passage, fearful, full of fear. And, and who wouldn't be full of fear? 
If you had gotten a whole people to label you, to call you king of the Jews. So that's what he had done. King Herod wanted to be God. He wanted to be the king. He was getting older. There was four generations of Herods that we read about. This was the first one right here. This is the one who he was known for being decisive and cruel. He was very powerful. But more than likely, he's here in his 70s. We know that he died in the year four. Uh, he, he died in the fourth year, so right, right after this event right here, he, he passed away. He did not live much longer. And he was bitter, and he was frustrated, and he heard that there was one that was going to take over and be a ruler forever and ever. He didn't want that. He wanted to be king. I want you to know the difference between that king, that tyrant, and Jesus Christ, the king of all things. See, the Daniel 7 passage I want us to read, and once again, I, I realize that this is still based on uh, an assumption ab about the wise men, but Daniel 7 is certainly not something we read as an assumption. This is real scripture here. This is God's uh, breathed word. Uh, Daniel, Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, this was given to Daniel uh, it says this, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed that son of man was born and those wise men went to see him that child however old he was whether a baby a one-year-old a two-year-old however old jesus was in this scene he grows up and he does not do what you would expect him to do. He does not come uh, and walk the streets of the Jerusalem begging people to serve him. That is not what he does. Jesus, in fact, speaking to his disciples, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Philippians 2, Paul writes about Jesus. He writes about the king. He writes about the Lord. And I want you to see what he says about him. Starting in verse 5, we're called to have this kind of attitude like King Jesus. We're supposed to have an attitude like him. It says in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, that means though he's God. That's what it means. Though he is God. It says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Jesus. Jesus came to serve us. Jesus came to save He was not arrogant. He did not rule out of fear. Jesus rules the universe with love. I want to close by reading John chapter 3. You don't have to flip there. I want you to to listen. And while you're doing that, I want you to consider God's heart for you again, that God desires all nations. He desires all peoples. He desires all nations to know, believe in, and worship the sovereign Savior, Son. The reality is this for you. If you're an unbeliever in the room, know this. You will one day bow to Jesus. All people will one day bow to Jesus. You'll hit a knee, and he will be Lord. He is Lord. But it is not a reality that all people will bow to him as Savior. John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We read that earlier. But do never, never miss the next verse. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people, they love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do you see? Can we come to Jesus today as a a church body, all of us, come to him today as king and as savior, as the one who came that we might live and not die. Come to him today. And the way you come to him is not by, you know, completing a list of good things. You come to him by literally looking and receiving. You look to the gift of the gospel, the good news, and you just receive it. It's like a gift that you open up and you take it home. You just receive it. It's by grace that you have been saved. 